G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to X-Band, the Phantom Podcast. 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom! The ghost who walks the Enemies beware The phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom He finds you My name is Jermaine and we are the X-Band, the Phantom Podcast from Chronicle Chamber. Our website is chroniclechamber.com and you can also contact us via our email which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. Today I'm going to be handing over the reins to Matt Kime. He is a comic creator and he has got for us a very special, a very special podcast as he reviews the very first Phantom story. Uh, now this is probably one of the best unedited versions you'll find, which is issue 1128. Now, he's going to dissect it warts and all. He's going to touch upon some very interesting topics, like racism. Is the Phantom a racist? He is also going to be discussing, did Lee Fork make a mistake? He's actually got three mistakes, a bit of a hint. Now, he's also going to be able to dissect it from a comics creator's point of view because he is a comic creator himself now for those who do not know or who have come in late uh this is the last story last phantom story that he has created which is one uh one eight five zero i also hear he might have another one coming out soon Shh. Uh, he has also created other comics like wrath of the cursed demon and some others as well so without further delay over to you buddy For those who came in late, death-defying heroics, sharks, submarines, romance, gangsters, pirates, sexual harassment, plot holes, racism, the Singh Brotherhood had it all. That's right, I'll be having an in-depth look at Lee Falk's first ever Phantom story, and I'll tell you what's good and what's bad about this historical landmark in comics. Full disclosure. I'm a massive fan of The Phantom, and I have a particularly warm, nostalgic spot in my heart for the early Falkmore stories. So I have my rose-coloured glasses on. But there are a few problematic things in this story that are not cool, and I'm not going to gloss over them. Is that anything to worry about? So The Phantom debuted in newspapers in the US in February 1936 and is still as popular now as he has ever been, right? Wrong. Ask anyone under 30 who he is, they'll either say they've never heard of him or, oh, I think my grandpa used to have some Phantom comics. In a world where everyone is cocoa nuts for superheroes, why is there so little recognition of Lee Falk's Phantom? Why isn't the Phantom as popular as Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, etc.? Why isn't he on the silver screen? The answer is actually pretty simple. We'll get into it a little bit later. First, let's look at the historical context. This is not a history lesson. And no, I'm not going to do a bio on folk. I want to talk about the newspaper strips. Back in the 1930s, 
Newspaper comic strips were big business. Although TV had been invented, it didn't really take off until the Second World War. So some of the most popular forms of home entertainment were reading and listening to radio programs. In the 1930s, comic strip creators were virtually celebrities. The comic section in some of the Sunday papers were almost 40 pages long. Hal Foster's Tarzan, Milton Caniff's Terry and the Pirates, and Flash Gordon by Alex Raymond were smash hits. Comic books as we know them appeared in the early 30s, but these were just reprints of newspaper strips. The first superhero comic, Action Comics, which introduced Superman, was still years away, so the best place to make some money with comics was definitely in the newspapers. Lee Falk's first creation, Mandrake the Magician, appeared in newspapers two years before The Phantom, and it was a success. Mandrake and Lothar. Oh, good, Mandrake. <laughs> I just love his card tricks. If he gets just hypnotically at me once more, I'll break all his fingers. <laughs> I read a bunch of early Mandrake stories years ago when Fru reprinted them. I remember really enjoying them back as a teenager, but I reread them. And they are crap. Mandrake is a drag. <laughs> Thankfully, Falk really came into his own when writing The Phantom. And I think that straight away, in his first ever Phantom story, he set an amazing foundation for what was to come. He crafted a fantastic story and created an iconic archetype for costume heroes that followed. This story saw The Phantom become an enduring mainstay of pop culture but also hamstrung it and severely limited its long-term popularity. More on that later. Let's start looking at what's good and what's bad about this first comic. What an intro. The scene is set as a ship bearing curious precious cargo from the South Seas approaches New York. The perfect setting for an adventure. And I love that this story introduces Diana Palmer straight away as a strong, interesting character. In her first ever depiction, she's boxing against the first mate and clobbering him. Next, she makes a witty remark about returning to New York after spending a year with sharks and tigers. Diana is already a superstar. I'm capable of taking care of myself as well as any of you, and no amount of argument is going to make me change my mind. Then we're introduced to New York criminals and gangsters. Fats Horgan reveals part of his plan to steal the curious precious cargo. Also his fear of the phantom is immediately alluded to. This sets the foundation for the premise and mystery of the phantom. Fats is shown as superstitious and paranoid about the phantom. This is powerful because it establishes that the phantom is already well known and feared among the underworld. Diana is no shrinking violet. This is the second bloke she has clobbered and the story has just started. Also, props to Lee Falk who was the artist on the strip for the first few weeks. This art here is absolutely beautiful. The first ever appearance of the Phantom. And here it is. And it's one of his tropes. He's climbing up out of the ocean boarding a ship. He does that countless times in his career. Now, this art is not all that great. Maybe this was drawn by Lee Falk? Not really sure. 
But what's good about it is it can it includes a trope. The Phantom is always flicking off lights before making his big appearances, and it freaks the criminals out every time. Now here we have it. This is the first proper picture of the Phantom. The gloves are gone. He's got his gun. If you look closely at him, all the elements that we know about the Phantom are already there. He has his bodysuit, he has his mask, he has his holsters and his belt. Now, the undies. Why is he wearing undies over the top? This has become uh, a very famous trope in superheroes, but why was he doing it? This is 1936. Was he the first character to wear his undies over the top? I'm not sure. Some people have said that Flash Gordon did it earlier. Is Flash Gordon a superhero? Yeah, sort of. He's a science fiction character. He was in comics. Is he a superhero? Yeah. He doesn't wear a mask. The Phantom wears a bodysuit, a mask, and he's undies over the top. I think he's the first character that did that. He definitely did it before Batman and Superman. The disappearing act trope. Very cool to see him pull this off straight away and to sneak Diana out. Fearless acrobatics. This type of action is something you'd expect from Batman or Spider-Man or Daredevil. Well done, Fogg, for making him a courageous man of action. This picture here confuses me. Did Ray Moore draw this picture? Or was it Lee Fogg? Because it's half good and it's kind of terrible at the same time. Beautiful picture, but the mask looks no good. And those gloves, very clunky and fat. Now, I love this. Diana started off strong, but has been relegated to a damsel in distress until now. Check this out. She doesn't hesitate to dive from the sail into the ocean. And she can swim like a fish. Love her already. Over the years, Diana has a kind of on-again, off-again approach to being a brave character. Sometimes she's incredibly capable, in other stories, she needs saving. I must be crazy. Falk is really impressing me here. This is the first time we see the skull ring leave its iconic skull mark. It's a pretty significant thing to me that this trope appeared as early as this in the first ever Phantom Adventure. So hats off to you, Lee Falk. So far, your story is going perfectly. Can you keep it up? Well, devil, old boy. So far, so good. Looks like we got off to a good start. Hmm? Hmm. Not sure how to feel about this one. Diana asks how she can thank him, and he grabs her and kisses her. Or are they kissing each other? She doesn't seem too worried, but she doesn't look like she had much choice. It kind of reminds me of when that pig Robbie Williams kissed Yumi Steins. Well, this Hello. is Yumi's first day. It's your first day. What a pleasure to meet you. Are we going to snog? Sure. Oh, oh! But in this case, Diana doesn't seem to mind. So this one's on the fence for me. In this panel, the Sing Pirates are introduced for the very first time. It's interesting that they are nowhere near as superstitious as the New York gangster Fats Horgan. In fact, they don't even seem to know much about the Phantom at all. This seems strange to me. It also seems strange that these characters have just suddenly appeared out of nowhere. What's also strange is that this is the last ever reference to Fats. He simply disappears after this panel. 
I wonder if Falk forgot about him. This story does start to meander all over the place, and some plots and characters are forgotten, while others start to repeat themselves. It's like the story totally flips here from the Phantom being a New York character fighting gangsters to being a jungle character fighting pirates. Oh goody! Diana has friends! Actual friends! Falk has introduced some important supporting characters which surely will become important, much loved and much used characters as the series progresses. Right? This scene makes Diana more real, more relatable. Of course a young socialite would have like-minded friends. In this panel, Jimmy Wells is introduced as a lazy, immature New York playboy. He is possibly inspired by Lamont Cranston, who was secretly the shadow. Considering that this story predates Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, Jimmy Wells is the perfect alter ego for the Phantom. He is such a great invention of Fox. Jimmy is clearly being set up as the Phantom. I mean, it's predictable by today's standards, but it was a pretty original idea back then, even though it strongly alluded to that this selfish coward is actually the Phantom. Scenes like this became synonymous with the Phantom. He does some brave heroic work in the background, which Diana is oblivious to. Here, he saves her life while she sleeps. Then she comically laments that nothing exciting ever happens. Not so fast, you snake. What happened to Diana? My dear boy, it's so simple. She tired of being with you and drove back home to await me. That's a lie. She wouldn't do that to me. Well, figure it out yourself. What else could it be? You don't think I kidnapped the young lady, do you? Look here, Ahmed. Diana wouldn't have left without telling me. Believe what you want. Let go of my arm. Ugh! Good work, Wong. This young idiot irritates me. Jimmy, what happened? Ah, oh, nothing, Phyllis. I just slipped. Where's Diana? Gone home, I guess. Ditched me for that slimy prince. Lend me a car, Phyllis. I'm going home to forget about her. Diana is kidnapped. Jimmy shakes off the coward act, because obviously he's the phantom, and confronts the sing. He is doing and saying everything you'd expect from the phantom. Then he gets whomped by the driver and falls on his ass. That, that's okay. Clark Kent often takes falls like that. He doesn't want to blow his cover. Diana's bestie Phyllis arrives on the scene, so he plays it cool because he can't risk her knowing his secret. He makes up some sulky story that suits his whole selfish New York playboy act, and then he says he's going home to sulk. Obviously, he will rush off and change, and become the Phantom, and track Diana. No. This is it for Jimmy and Phyllis. This is literally the last time we see these characters. You gotta be Our expectations have been subverted, and dare I say, this was a big mistake. Jimmy, the selfish, pampered New York playboy, is the perfect cover for the Phantom. He has the resources to be the Phantom, and obviously New York is the perfect setting for the Phantom. The series started here, and poor Phyllis 
She deserved better than this. She was a great character. Falkus will be after my blood for saying this, but this was the first of Falk's three massive mistakes. Oh, no, 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 no. Bro, I'm not, bro, you're not finna yell at me first day back, my guy. I don't even know your name. You're not finna yell at me first day back. what I do? The Phantom has saved Diana and lays another awkward kiss on her while telling her to do what she's told. I don't know, it seems a bit much. The readers are probably still thinking he's Jimmy Wells because that would be awesome, but he's not. The Phantom is the original smart-ass hero. In the 1930s in particular, Falk always gave him classic one-liners. This continued on in the 40s and 50s, but got rarer and rarer. In the last part of Falk's career, the Phantom was pretty bland and humorless, not to mention increasingly cruel. Diana clobbering yet another dude. That's three so far, unless I missed any. Love her. Nobody messes with Diana Palmer. More Phantom Zingers. Phantom is a smart aleck. <laughs> now look how brave Diana is. This takes guts and it also shows that perhaps she doesn't mind being kissed. How I love this story. Falk used to be so funny. This scene is more than a sight gag. It develops the idea that the Phantom's methods are well known, at least among police and criminals in New York City. Falk ramps up the fearlessness and competence of the Phantom. He commandeers a plane and has it take him to his destination so he can parachute out. The Phantom gets real Diana and mistakenly judges her as selfish. This is a bit of a clue that he is not Jimmy Wells, because Jimmy is actually a friend of hers and would know that she's not selfish. The Phantom doesn't know that Diana is trying to fund a children's hospital. I like that the Phantom's ethics are on show here. He doesn't want to help her anymore because he thinks she's a spoiled brat. Hmm. Did he feel this way when he smooched her? I really like this scene. Diana learns from an old family friend that the Phantom has been active since at least 1866. Standing ovation, Lee Falk. You have just hinted at your greatest innovation with the Phantom. You are a genius. Diana learns a story about the Phantom destroying a pirate ship and then disappearing. The mythology and mystery of the Phantom grows before our very eyes. Also, this phantom has no qualms of killing pirates, and I can get behind that. What do you do all day, anyhow? I've been doing my job. I kill pirates. The phantom learns that Diana is not selfish. In fact, she is the best. He falls in love with her. See, I told you. She actually wanted this kiss. Diana doesn't know much about the phantom yet, and really, either do the readers. Look who it is, Kabai Singh and Sala. Important characters are introduced here. It's a shame they are racial stereotypes. Oh well, Falcon more soon forget Sala is Asian. You'll see what I mean soon. All of a sudden we're in Luntok meeting Captain Melville Horton, who's a great reoccurring character. Unlike poor old Jimmy and Phyllis who are long gone by now. 
This scene teaches us about the cruelty of the Singh Brotherhood. I've got to take my hat off to Lee Fogg. In this story alone, he gave us the Phantom, the Skull Ring, Diana, Fats, Jimmy, Phyllis, the Singh, Sala, Horton, and now everybody's favourite fictional wolf, Devil. I never expected that Falk would have had so many of the essential phantom elements in play right from the get-go. He was an amazing creator. Now, here's a question. What secluded island castle is this? Is it possible that Falk hasn't created the Skull Cave yet, and that this castle was originally going to be his home? Do you like the idea of the phantom living in a secluded island castle with devil? It sounds pretty cool to me. Although I still think New York City is better. The Sing base is at the bottom of the ocean and you get to it from a whirlpool. That is so stupid. Falk went all out with the Sing's cruelty levels when he had them lower Diana into a shark tank. How insidious. A great perilous situation for Diana. Even though our poor Diana has yet again become a damsel in distress, I do really like this scene. Another phantom trope is introduced. He is a shark fighter. After saving Diana and giving her coordinates to send the army, the injured phantom vanishes. That's cool. The army destroyed the Singh headquarters. You know, the stupid headquarters at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. A massive phantom trope. The phantom and Diana are separated and she thinks he's dead. This device is overused by Falk, but I still love it. Devil just kicked that leopard's ass. Okay, here we are. Falk's second massive mistake. This is essentially where we learn that the Phantom is 100% not Jimmy who lives in New York. In actual fact, his identity hasn't been revealed at all, and he lives in Luntok with the Bandar, who are a tribe of pygmy cannibals. This jungle setting changes names over the years, and the Bandar are no longer cannibals, but the idea of the Phantom being a white man living in the jungle of natives remains to this day. This comic was a product of its times. Back in the 1930s, the jungle was a very popular setting for works of fiction, and the idea of safaris, big game hunting, and savage natives were in vogue. From this point in the story, the New York setting and Jimmy Wells are completely and utterly gone. The influence of pulp characters like The Shadow are now replaced with Tarzan. In the 1930s, this was probably the best thing Falk could have ever done for the character, but only in the short term. In the long term, it's one of the factors that has killed the popularity of the Phantom in the last few decades. Jungle adventures are just not popular anymore. A key part of it is the jungle setting, and the idea that he is a white man who has convinced the ignorant natives that he is a god. The natives really believe him to be immortal? They do indeed, but naturally we know him to be nothing more than a clever showman who exploits the ignorant savage's superstitious fear. Let's face it. This comic concept would never be produced today, and we don't have a snowball's chance in hell of seeing another Phantom movie unless it completely ditches the jungle setting or changes the Phantom's ethnicity. The Skull Cave is cool, but it's the wrong setting for a hero who was introduced as a scourge on crime in New York City. It's hard to say this as a lifetime Phantom fan, but the Skull Cave in the middle of the jungle was a cool setting for a hero in the 1930s. 40s and maybe the 50s, but it's just too remote and it limits his appeal. 
I like the Skull Cave, but I wish he didn't live there. City Adventures still and always will be popular. Heck, I'd even prefer if he lived in the secluded island castle. What happened to that idea? I've often wondered if Falk regretted his decision to make the Phantom a jungle-based character, because in the stories from the 30s, the Phantom was a globetrotter, and many of his stories had no jungle theme whatsoever. Now, I love Garam, but he is a racial stereotype. This is his first appearance. Don't rush to tell me that he's a great character. I know he's a great character, but come on, people, this isn't right. This is condescending. The Phantom essentially says, thank you for your stupid jungle nonsense. Get me a real doctor. Another classic trope. Everyone who meets Diana falls for her. At this stage, she still thinks the Phantom is dead. This device reoccurred over and over and over, but I love it. It's hard to deal with this now. I think Falk meant well, and it's still got some humour to it, but the racism is just too much. The Phantom Treasure, another great innovation of Fox. This would have explained Jimmy's wealth, but I'll try not to get too hung up on that again. I miss you, Jimmy. Romantic misunderstandings are a staple of Phantom stories. Diana is like a magnet for sexual harassment. Sulky Phantom gives up on romance, bows out gracefully. What a guy. The Phantom really is a quality guy. Horton almost reveals something important, but the Phantom misses out on hearing it, which is classic folk. In this story, we've got everything but the kitchen sink. Morse code. I'm going to wreck your submarine. Very clever. This is an interesting scene. The Phantom has exposed that there are seen spies in Diana's crew. They're outed and executed. But while this is occurring, the Phantom is having his lunch. He doesn't participate in or even witness the killings. Earlier, when the army blew up the Singh base, he had no part of that either. Falk chose to remove him from the killing perhaps. Then he's very cold when he says, sorry I missed the fun. It's a strange scene. He didn't really seem to care too much about what was going on, and he certainly didn't care for the people who got killed. This is Falk's masterpiece, the origin of the Phantom. So far, I am 100% on board with this. Uh-oh, this is not looking good. Yes, there's nothing that so sways the native mind as a few simple tricks and illusions. The Skull Oath is terrific. My only problem... Why only the firstborn son? Why not all siblings? Why not open up to other children, regardless of sex? Don't get me wrong, I love the Phantom Legacy, but it could have been even better. Confidence, man, you gotta have it. Sadly, this is the last we see of Diana in this story. This could be the first time the Phantom is shown murdering someone. I guess technically he didn't murder him and it was self-defense, but he did punch him and he went over a cliff. And I'm pretty sure that guy died. This is another trope of the Phantom, a really good one. The Phantom writes notes to the cops. Polite ones too. Hey, guess what? I love you. Also, I'm not Asian anymore. 
What happened to Salah? This happens all the time. In fact, it already happened once before in the story. Women love the phantom and will die protecting him. Horton's men destroy the base. Didn't this already happen? Oh yeah, it did. Is this Groundhog Day? Right at the very end of the story, Sala introduces the Sky Band. This becomes the menace of the next story. Nice one. It doesn't explain why she was previously Asian though. And there we have it. One story ends and a new one commences. Typically the Phantom is always prevented from reuniting with Diana because of some nefarious ne'er-do-wells. Okay, so my final thoughts on this landmark comic. Well, obviously I love it. It has its issues, but they are a product of the times in which it was written. Is the story sexist and racist? Yes. Yes, it is. It's very dated. Some parts of it are really bad, although I don't believe folks set out to do this maliciously, so I'm not going to jump up and down on the man's legacy. I've already discussed my opinions on the setting of the character and the choice not to use Jimmy, so I won't rehash those points. All in all, this is a great story. It introduces so many essential elements of the Phantom, and these elements become essential staples of his enduring career as a pop culture icon. Now you might have noticed at the beginning I said there were three massive mistakes. The first was not using Jimmy. The second was the Phantom being a jungle-based character. Mother was right. I'm just not cut out to live in the jungle. But what's the third? My third issue is not really an element of this particular story, and it's not really a mistake. It's a missed opportunity that Falk can't possibly be blamed for. So buckling. If you're not already out for my blood, you might be after this. I think the Phantom had a unique advantage over every other comic strip character that was not utilised. The Phantom should have aged in real time. God, man. That's right. The Phantom, Diana, and everyone in their world, including the twins, Garan, Devil Hero, bar. everyone should have aged. What on earth am I talking about? You can't age Batman. You can't age Spider-Man. You can't age Mandrake. But Falk could have aged the Phantom, and if he did, it would have been the most innovative comic strip of all kind. And he could have done it because the Phantom is a legacy character. Let me explain. Out there. Really is. You gotta... You gotta try to will it in. Try to will it in, y'all. To understand it. If you know anything about DC Comics, you might be aware of Infinite Crisis, The New 52, and Rebirth. I won't get into it, but in essence, these were company-wide reboots of the DC characters' continuity, because after decades of comic stories, the biggest adversary of these characters was actually time itself. What do I mean? Think about this. How old is Batman? How long has it been Batman? There's no definitive answer, but consider that while operating as Batman, he has had almost half a dozen, if not more, sidekicks and has a preteen son. So has he been Batman for a few years or a few decades? Look at Marvel. Same problems. Has Spidey been active for one year or for ten? Why do some characters age and others don't? 
Was the Punisher a Vietnam vet? Or was he in the Gulf War? Or was it a more recent conflict? It keeps changing. Now think about the Phantom. When was he born? Did he fight in World War II or Vietnam? Was he a child in the 60s? Lee Falk missed an opportunity that he probably never even realised. An opportunity to age his character in real time. I got goosebumps. He didn't have to freeze the age of his cast like all other companies do because the Phantom has a father-son legacy. Now it's easy to say all this in hindsight and it's unrealistic to think that Falk could have ever predicted how enduring this creation would be but if he had have aged the Phantom and Diana in real time we would be reading about the 25th Phantom by now and absolutely no timing consistencies would have been made. The Phantom would have been the best, most progressive and ingenious comic in history. The Phantom dated Diana for decades. When they finally married, time unfroze long enough for them to have the twins, but sadly time froze again shortly afterwards and stayed frozen for a long time. I liked the twins, but I got sick of reading about them very quickly. I enjoyed seeing them age, but those kids are older than me and they're barely out of their childhood. Now, more about this idea of aging in real time. Even as we speak, Eric Larson is doing the same thing with his Savage Dragon comic. Imagine if this had have occurred to Falk back when he first created the Phantom in the 30s. Phantom soon be gone. He who smells the Phantom's armpit will surely die. A huge thanks to Matt. I hope you enjoy that. Now, if you are listening to this on an audio podcast, I would recommend going to YouTube just so you can have a, a look at some of the panels and, and, and stuff as he dissects it. Uh, he's, he's done a brilliant job in, um, in producing the video as well. Now, if you found that controversial and you want to agree or, or disagree with Matt, you can do that via our social media links, which is... Uh, Facebook, which is chroniclechamber.com. Uh, Instagram, uh, you can search us for us via at chroniclechamber. Twitter, which is at chroniclechamber. And of course, we also are on YouTube as well, which is chroniclechamber. Now, if this is the first time you've ever come to us, you can subscribe to us either via iTunes or Spotify, or even if you're an Android user as well. Uh, there's many different apps there that you can find. And then, of course, if you're a YouTube user, I would recommend subscribing to us, which the link is down below there. And then that way you can make sure you get all of our podcasts as well as some of our reviews and other videos as well. So a huge shout out to Matt. Uh, you can find out if you like some of the stuff he's done. We've included all of the ways you can contact him via social media, via his website and stuff like that in the, in the podcast notes, in our article, and also on our YouTube notes as well. So a huge shout out to Matt. Uh, we really enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. And again, don't, do not forget to uh, give us some feedback towards Matt and also what we've done as well, if you like it, and then maybe we can do some more as well. So thank you and happy fantasy.